Hello, and welcome to this week's Key Voices, conversations with folk in and around education. I'm Caroline Doherty. This week is the final instalment of our series with Team Education Trust. I have really loved getting to know this group better, and hopefully you all have too. In this final episode, looking back on their first year as as a trust and as a central team working together, it was really interesting to hear particularly all of Sarah, the CEO's tips for aspiring CEOs and some big things to think about for anyone who is in the position of thinking about setting up a trust. I am incredibly grateful to the team at Team for their honesty and willingness to share their journey with all of you, our Key Voices listeners. And as ever, I'd just like to remind listeners that this podcast is an opportunity to open up debate and discussion around topics. The views my guests and I are about to express are not the view of the key. For in-depth authoritative articles on the latest issues in education, check out thekeysupport.com. Hello. This week, we are talking again to senior leaders at Team Education Trust. So I am joined by Sarah Baker, CEO, Alison Bingham, Director of Development, Rachel Watson, Associate Principal and Director of Education and Achievement. Hello to all of you. Hi. Hi there. Lovely to speak to you again. So um, this is our the final of three episodes of the podcast, looking at how your trust has grown and developed in this um, first first year you've been um, officially a trust. So I just wanted to kick off by asking um, you what what are you either as individuals or a group proudest of in this last year? It's funny you asked this one because we did have a bit of a discussion about uh, what we were proud of this year. And I would say, A, a we're still here. Uh, it's probably staying alive has to be part of that. Um, but actually the resilience and adaptability of the staff that we work with, and that's across all the schools, I think they've been incredibly responsive um, in the time of need for the children um, and each other. And I would say that there's been some huge challenges and they've overcome those. And yeah, we're probably proudest of our staff. Um, IT has to be discussed at some point um, because I think uh, IT has been, uh, for us to start with, it was a very interesting one because I wouldn't say that necessarily IT was a strength, um, but Paul, our IT manager, has done a fantastic job working definitely on the Stubbornwood site. And we've had an awful lot of things to deal with and so I'd say pace of change probably comes into that as well and how people have responded to that um the team we asked a few questions so please please uh, Rachel and Alison do chip in but we did talk about the risk mitigation tracker that we use centrally around safeguarding children uh talked about how we've been developing our reporting to board and actually how we report on the the great stuff that is happening in the three schools how we've been tracking training um, of staff, probably um, thinking about how we've kept parents up to date, so our level of communication, our early help service, and now we're, we're actually trading an ITP service, so that's that's relatively new for us, and prob- probably just how we've sort of started to look at our systems and processes we had in place at the very beginning, and maybe how we're changing a few of those, especially around 
um, reporting systems are like main dash dashboard, risk management. So maybe some of the more fundamental things. Um, so Alison, Rachel, help me out. <laughs> For me, I think, I mean, it's everything Sarah said and it's, it's this blend, isn't it, of processes and, and how we've responded personally. Um, where you get your energy level from, I think is probably the thing I'm most proud of. Um, and that I've actually, I think, um, kept relatively balanced. I say that hesitantly, but I think I've kept fairly balanced throughout. Um, I think in terms of when we first started chatting about this, I said, look, it, I'd read something the day before, which was um, that crisis expedites change and that the pandemic would probably foresee huge amounts of change. And if we think about what we're most proud of, it's not just that everybody's nodded all the way along the line and said, oh yes, I'll, you know, I'll do that, yes, whatever you want. What they've actually come back with is, I think we can do this better. It hasn't just been top down, it's been people working across the organisation. And I think that's, that's the important thing. You know, it's not just been three people who've got through this. It's been everybody in all the boats that have that have done it. And I think that's important for us to recognise that. It's, it's a collaborative approach to mm. the that we're now, I suppose, feeling as a group. And it's how you're, you're right about energy levels, because I think even in the sort of darkest of challenges, we've sort of somehow got something from somewhere. And I think that's quite an interesting concept because there are days when actually you were trying to work out where you were going to pull the next bit of, I suppose, resilience from really, for what could come next. I think since we've been having the release though from some of the restrictions, I've seen staff seem to be a little bit more buoyant. Um, I think the information about changing the, the timeline hasn't necessarily felt so bad for them. But I think that's because I think we, we had a lead up to know that that was going to happen. And it's not a complete go back to lockdown, whereas I think that would have probably taken people into a different place. Yeah, exactly so. And um, Rachel, was there anything that, that you wanted to add, either um, with respect to um, pride at things the team have done or you kind of personally and professionally? I think in terms of the team, I think it's that pride in the fact that we all went into this and there was no handbook. We'd got no kind of guidance from anywhere. We were all having to find our own way through this. And like like Alison and Sarah have said, it's the fact that everybody has pulled together to create that handbook so that actually we've done the very best that we can um, by our students and our, hopefully our staff and our communities that we serve. Um, by working together and finding solutions when things were changing very, very rapidly. Indeed, so much to be um, proud about. It was probably um, hard, hard, hard to whittle it down when you think back to all the all the activity that has happened since um, since you since you launched, and obviously. COVID has has you know been a massive factor in in all the things that you've been been doing um, as a trust this this year, um, but we've also in in previous episodes discussed the sort of opportunities that it presented to particularly for for you as a central team to really step in and support schools. 
And I'm just curious to know what what you think might have been different about about really building um, your, yourselves as a leadership team and and the trust had the pandemic not happened. I think we'd have been out and about in our schools a lot more. Probably we'd have had a larger sort of more poignant launch so that staff and students were really involved. Um, so there was real emphasis on what actually belonging to the trust really was. And I suppose we still haven't been able to get everybody together. Um, and I think, obviously, from a point of view of sort of sharing team, we, we've done the share of team, but it would be really nice to think very much about how we can get everybody, I suppose, in the same room, um, in the same building would be nice. Uh, and I think we'll, we'll get better at that because the technology that we've got across the three schools is better than it was. Um, does will we get that for September? Mm. <laughs> There's a few question marks. Um, I mean, we, we've put in place some plans to celebrate the end of year one, um, but very much about what schools can do and then bring that together to share that across the three schools rather than it being done all together as such. I'd agree with that. I think that, that maybe that has been, it would have been, our pace of change might have been slightly slower there might have been longer discussions about things. Um, I think we would have spent much more time on site and I think that we would have known individuals across the schools probably better. And I think that's a pity. I think that's, you know, I like people on a good day. I really like people and I like learning from people. And when you're relying on IT um, and sort of sometimes some fairly um, limited internet connections, you can't really get to know people. You can't find out who they really are, what motivates them and what makes them tick because there, there isn't time on a Zoom call to be able to do that. And I think that would have been the biggest difference. I think, um, I, think I, I think our change would have been slower. I think it would have been more personal. Um, and I think at the end of the day, that's the bit we've got to focus on for year two. We've really got to focus on saying to our colleagues, this is what the value of being in this trust really is. You've seen it move very fast. You've seen it. You've seen efficiency. You've seen um, clarity. But let's get the people through because people are what really power education. They, they, they're what make the real difference. And it's interesting because yesterday I came across um, uh, it was a graphic around connecting with people and leading. And it talked very much about leaders need to be both warm and also competent. And it's how you share that. And I think you can do an element of that over these virtual calls. But I think a lot of relationship building and that foundation, that buying into a trust and that growth strategy, which we'll move on to, is only going to really happen if we can build those meaningful relationships first. And team is all about building relationships and and actually being mindful of context and, and setting and not going in and, and taking sort of the autonomy away. So for us, it's, it, there is an element of building and understanding before we can just move on. And I think that there's elements where we're really lucky because we built those relationships with our schools before the pandemic. But what we hadn't maybe had the opportunity to do was actually the, the brand of team. And I think actually what, what that really looked like because we'd saved it for the launch and I think the launch then being in the pandemic meant that yes people have seen the logo 
they've, they've seen the vision and values, but actually it's what that really, I suppose, now feels like. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Because obviously the technology has enabled the, the pace of change to an extent. You know, it's much easier to get meetings in the diary, move move forward, work on documents, all, all those sorts of things. But it's almost about how do we go about putting in the human connections, the breathing space, the you know opportunity to consult and 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 those those sorts of things that actually do make for more you know sustainable um, uh, change and relationships and the difference between working working with people that you have got a long history with over remote means versus people you know say people starting a new job or whatever in the middle of the pandemic i'm sure a lot of people would say their experiences have been quite different if you've got to sort of start those relationships um virtually yeah it's you know that that this doesn't seem to be the time for the sort of small talk and getting getting to know people um so yeah it's uh, it is um it's really interesting to sort of reflect on 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 the one hand what's happened more quickly and then and then then how to sort of um take it to the next stage don't you think that caroline that's how people learn people learn very differently as well some people can accept guidance and information uh you'll do a, we do regular bulletins lots and lots of communications they're absolutely in it yep got it move on but then there are others where they almost need a water cooler moment um where they can go and stand and chat and they glean other people's interpretations from things and they make sense of it themselves and that whole dynamic has been has been missing and it's not going to be easy to replace we will we, we're aware of it and we're going to be doing as much as we can to, to put plans in place to allow a virtual water cooler moment. But we, we tried things um, like uh, we had a sort of a cup of tea with the team session, so a team chat, we called it. But, but actually people weren't so comfortable, you know, to sit there on Zoom and go, well, actually I'm, my chair's not very comfy or I'm a bit worried about this particular document I read. So, there's going to be a lot, and I think that's going to be the case across schools, where across education, where difficult decisions have been made, it's not been easy to explain why that decision has needed to be made, because you can't always give all of the context in a way that you'd like to. And I, I think that's going to be a big challenge going forward and going back to your question. So what if there hadn't been COVID, where would we have been? I think we would have been stronger at that. But I, I think that's a COVID thing, and I think we've been aware, but we haven't always managed to find the solutions for it. It puts sort of digital means into 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 bits of school where they just you know necessarily weren't before. That kind of you know everybody get together in the staff room at a break time to hear a piece of news rather than necessarily have an email or whatever. Um, you know, it's been harder to do that kind of thing. And, you know, it's happened in the blink of an eye without anyone really thinking about it. And now we have more time to reflect on actually where is it more important to have that kind of human connection face, face to face. And as you say, understanding different people's learning, learning needs, preferences, level of, you know, kind of social anxiety or or, or comfort and recognising that, you know, this, the same people will feel confident piping up on a, you know, ask us anything Zoom chat as you know and the same people will feel a bit more um reserved about it um yeah it's uh 
It is, it is, a, it, you know, and, and it's all happened um, so, so, so quickly uh, in change that would have taken a lot, a lot longer in the normal run of things. And um, obviously, Sarah, when we decided to, to do this podcast, a, a big reason for you was you were saying that as a CEO, you, you felt that it would personally be quite helpful to hear about someone's experiences of setting up a, a, a trust. Uh, it wasn't sort of something that was out there that, that, that you'd seen. Um, given where you are now, what would be your kind of top pieces of advice um, for, a, for a new CEO? I'd say preparation is critical. Uh, don't be a perfectionist. Um, that causes a, a level of anxiety you just don't need. Um, relationships, definitely critical with your central team, the principals, the trustees, members, especially your chair. I'd say having a good set of solicitors. Um, I think uh, probably uh, one of my go-to phone calls list is the solicitor just for a bit of a check. Um, Future learning, if I was converting um, a school again, which obviously we're looking at future growth, um, don't do more than one at a time, but do what do it one really well. Your systems and processes are absolutely key, but they can only be in place if you've got a well-developed set of policies. And I would say our policies now are in a good place, whereas I think when you first do a trust, everything, everything hinges on that date that you're converting and there's only so much of your lego trust that's in a box is ready to go and that's the only way i can describe it to people it felt like i'd held the box with the lego in it for such a long time until they said go and then you get like three or four weeks to go and and that it that that three or four weeks goes so so quickly um some of the information that we provided around school improvement at the very beginning to the dfe was really I think helped us because we really well it was really well thought out the rationale behind that the amount of times they asked us to revisit and look through but actually that's paid probably dividends now quality induction is absolutely vital and um, share because not everybody's been on the same journey that that we've been on so sharing into the trust is really important um I think Everybody who's on your team's got to own the goals. All of a sudden, as CEO, you can't do it all yourself. You're more the facilitator. So it's making sure that they're owning the goals. They're working towards the business plan, but everybody can see where you're going. So clarity. And then something that's probably a little bit different. We've invested in a well-being coach who's working with us at the moment. And I think that that's been really, really important as we've probably reflected more as we've come out of the sort of the darkest part of I suppose the pandemic for us it's been really important that as the new team have come on board on the 19th of April when we had our last really big sort of injection of uh, new staff to the central team it's about role modeling and if we don't invest in the central team they're our key role models before in your school structure when you've been your leadership team whereas you've got this next level of leadership and and we need to make sure that they really have all the skills to look after their well-being. And I say sort of that work-life balance as we sort of emerge. So that, that, that's my sort of top learning. I don't know, Alison, Rachel, what, what you'd say. You might be able to sort of think about what, 
maybe how I've developed and, and sort of, I suppose, some of the things that you've seen as sort of key. You're really going to let me answer that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I, I think you made me chuckle with the word not being a perfectionist. Um, the reason we chuckled is that the three people on this um, call, probably you, Caroline, as well, were perfectionists. And it's just been so difficult to understand what good enough is as opposed to what absolutely right is. And um, that's that's been tough um, because we've had very clear vision on what's to be achieved. We, that, that was very clear straight off. But actually letting things go and let people letting people who are doing their best but they're not quite getting to where you want them to be giving them coaching and support to help them understand how to move on that's quite a difficult challenge um when people don't want to you know that that'll do is is sometimes difficult to manage um i found that hard and i think that's important another thing that I think we've also taken on um, as the team, it, sort of is one of the heroes of COVID, but you know, Captain Tom, you know, tomorrow's another day, tomorrow it will be a good day. I think we've always taken that approach as well, that whatever's happened, the next day is going to be a good day and um, there'll be a good way through it. And so I think those have all been very positive, um, uh, positive areas for us. I mean, I don't know, Rachel, what do you think? Can we move on from this perfection picture that's stuck in our heads? No, no, I think it's quite hard because I think you are right in the fact that we all, we all try really hard to be that perfectionist, but yeah, it's finding that balance, isn't it, about um, it's good enough. I think in terms of Sarah and her growth, I think first, Sarah was always very much hands-on and, and needed to be involved in everything. And I think as she stepped into that role as CEO, it's it's taking that step to the side and accepting that she has to be able to delegate and feel comfortable to delegate um, and and have that more facilitation role really but she, she's getting there definitely getting there <laughs> I still like to know everything that's happening and I, I still feel I'm a bit of a control freak but actually I, I, I would also say you need to spin plates you it's okay to have plates spinning and it's an okay for them to drop a little bit because you can sort of look after that plate and then put it back up there but it's knowing when when it's okay for it, it to, to slip a little bit. Do you think that's about trust? I think you reach the point where you start to trust certain people and you know the quality of what they'll be doing, the, the quality of their work and you begin to trust well if they make a mistake they'll have made the mistake for all the right reasons and we'll have we'll, yeah. we'll learn through it and, um, you know, if they get something wrong, don't worry, we've, we've all got it together. And that's the thing, because the team really matures. So it's not around that sort of very tight management. It's around managing the bigger picture. And that's, that's again, something to be mindful of, really, um, particularly that letting go. And I'd reflect, I think that's for Sarah being something, she refers to a box of, of sort of Academy Lego that you have to set out on the table. If it's been your Lego and it's your reputation uh, as a CEO and as the person who's this is the vision, you've had every you've had people behind you saying, oh yeah, that's all right. But ultimately at that point of conversion, there's only one person who's ultimately 
is in that crucial position. And I think that through the first year, being able to hand over the different bits of Lego, different colours, and say, right, you know, Alison, you do pink, and Rachel, you do, and see the see the building and the, the, the size of the trust then begin to grow. I think that must be very rewarding as well, though. Um, if you've got the right people around you, that happens, and that happens quite naturally um, without the need for stress and anxiety. It, it happens, and that, I think that's really rewarding when that, that, uh, that virtual Lego Academy Sorry, Sarah, but, but building on your, your suggestions there. When that begins to grow, it's actually become very exciting and fulfilling for a much larger group of people. It, it was funny because I was talking to um, a colleague from the MPQEL when we were on there, gosh, cohort one. I know they're putting through cohort four now. And we were busy talking about it. And I said I felt a bit of a fraud because most of the people on there were already got conversion dates. And I still felt my Lego was in the box. And, and although I had my plan and my assignment was very much about the conversion and, and the and the trust taking off but I didn't know quite when my date was and it kept changing um and it's interesting now reflecting back because quite a few of the people who were in those trust roles have now sort of left to do other things and I was sort of thinking I don't know what else I would would actually do if I didn't do this so it is really interesting and I, I think well I, I'm really excited to see what what comes next uh, and I know we've got a plan for the next three months and really intense plan for the next three months, which is obviously condensed because you get rid of August um, <laughs> in, in academic terms. Um, but actually what the next year looks like with the new team is going to be really, really interesting. Um, and as I say, you know, we're already starting to trade IT services. We've got growth capacity now to trade more around early help and intervention. And I think for young people, that's going to become more critical. So it, it's actually, what else? Are we going to be a trust that serves others or are we going to be a trust that grows and serves? So it will be interesting to see maybe what we do in a year's time or three years time. Yeah. And I think, it, you know, everything that you said there, I can imagine somebody who is who's back where you were this time last year, finding, finding those reflections really helpful. And one of the most challenging things about, about being a trust leader is the fact that you are trying to build, build the plane while flying it, as, 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 as some people say. And, and the fact is you just need the plane to stay up in the air it might be quite a messy plane um, because of the nature of, 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 of how it how it grows, how it develops the the unplanned things that 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 might occur. And I think, as you say, reflecting on, on yourself and tendencies towards perfection, recognizing what what good enough for now looks like and how to kind of continuously evolve and improve prove what you do um is is so important to to that that wider leadership and um also the importance of 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 the team of team and it's been really great to have have so much involvement from the the team in these conversations as well because i think you make it it very clear the the importance of specialists and the ability to 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 delegate around around the trust as well which is you know a a challenge that leaders in in any field um uh, face when they're taking that that step up to be at the very top of an organization um so thank you for those those reflections um 
And when we when we when we last spoke, uh, we, we were talking about your plans to do a workload charter for the trust. And obviously, the, the DFE has launched its own in in the meantime. And we've also discussed the need for for, for, for well being and the work that you're doing with a coach for the senior team. But obviously, at the end of a year when everybody is thoroughly exhausted, uh, what what is your kind of latest thinking around around workload? So excitedly this morning, um, the solicitors handed it back. They're happy with it to be circulated to board. So the workload charter will be circulated, maybe this evening. We'll see see how long board goes on for tonight. Um, some key themes though that mirror across the um, DFE charter around well-being, sort of monitoring and implementation of like a strategy. And that's something um, we've just brought into a, a well-being survey uh, and we're putting together a strategy. We don't want to go too far down the line there, but we want the well the workload charter and the well-being strategy to marry together. And the reason for not going too far down is because we want to see what comes from the baseline survey around well-being across the trust. And we've linked it in with the start of sort of the new year two, but also the end of year one. So we thought it gave us sort of a good a good sort of sort of where are people now um the other aspects obviously reducing unnecessary workload and rachel and i were prepared to throw um pretty much uh, anything that doesn't impact on children out um and so marketing policy uh, will only be um in pro in progress across team if it has a reason for demonstrating support for children to make the next steps or, or make progress um, and then sort of looking at becoming an employer of choice, we were very much interested in how the DFE have responded around agile working and bringing that threaded through. And, and we've been developing some contracts for team. Um, and again, this is where the good links with the solicitor comes in. So we've been looking at a um, the teacher Burgundy book sort of um, contract, um, the contract for support staff and incorporating the green book and then making sure that we've actually got uh, a level of flexibility where we need to um, around supporting staff with bespoke um, sort of CPD so actually how we bring that in because you can't necessarily put that quite into the contract and also sort of that agile working and sort of I suppose a different type of remuneration for the hard work and sort of dedication with the additional sort of holiday entitlements for the essential and and those 52-week contract um so although unfortunately i hadn't met with the execs this morning straight after solicitors i now have three contracts on the table as of this morning um but actually it's probably going to make it a lot clearer for our hr manager to pick up and work with the appointment and that contract so uh, although I don't think we necessarily didn't have the clarity after this morning, I feel like we're we're in a different place with where we're going. Um, and we've said that we will incorporate the workload, the well-being, and the contract sort of all in all into one starter pack. I don't know if I've now digressed for you there. No, that's that's fascinating, and I'm sure other people will 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 find it useful to to hear about the. The kind of very thorough approach that you've that you've taken to that. Uh, was there anything that you wanted to add, either Alison or or Rachel, on um, workload? 
I just think from the workload charts point of view, obviously our intention is that once it's gone through Trust Board, we'll then look to share that with unions and make sure that we've got union approval for that. And we want to work closely with the staff here to make sure that it obviously works for everybody across the team as well. Yeah, I think one of the things that Rachel, as I said in passing to Rachel, sometimes it's the little comments that you remember. And I said, we'll have got it right when we really just do a 40 hour week yeah that's that's when we've got it right you know when we're not looking to make our lives easier or um we just want to be able to to move it down to a 40-hour week um and to be able to then be able to see how everybody else contributes to everything and and, and to keep things smooth i mean the whole the other interesting concept about um having a good workload um, audit and looking at the contracts is actually to be a place of choice is, is not always about being a soft option. Sometimes it has to be about a hard option as well. And there's nothing more um, demotivating than seeing somebody who's not delivering as they should be delivering, who's not working to the standards that you're setting and seeing them get away with it. Um, and I'm not, I'm not actually nervous if of saying, I think it's really important as well that you reward people on excellence. And I think then people are much clearer um, on how much they're valued by their employer. And, and the operative word in that in that is employer of choice and giving people a clear sense of what you're offering and what they're signing up to. And, you know, and, and then those who are more inclined to work hard and be successful go down that route and you know other people find somewhere else to be um but you know the the, the choice the choice is clear um and as you say you're looking at, at, at how how best you can make it um you know a still challenging but a manageable job um great stuff and you you you, you mentioned cpd briefly um there and when we last spoke we did also talk about your your plans to develop um the, the curriculum for pupils and also your kind of cdp a cpd offer for staff more more widely is there anything to update on on that um so yeah in terms of um cpld uh, we've done quite a lot of research um across the trust in terms of making sure that we go with the best option for our early career teachers from next year. Um, so we've done research around the providers and, and what's the best option for us um, in that sense. So we now have um, a clear rationale um, around that. Um, we've also looked at how we can support with making sure that the quality of teaching in school is excellent through using some of those core induction materials um, to support an in-house offer for our staff that are not early career teachers, but actually that, fit, that would benefit from some input um, around some of those key areas covered. Um, we're also working um, with a number of other professionals to bring in um, kind of bespoke and specialist CPLD for staff. Um, but we're also doing work around kind of research practice and putting in projects to make sure that actually we're, we're looking to give our students the very best outcomes um, and that, that sits alongside um, the journal club, which um, Sarah's helped to get together. And I'm sure she'll uh, chip in and share some more information about. 
Yeah, so I wanted to think about how we could uh, increase the dialogue um, around education, but also other organisations that could influence education practice. So decided to sort of facilitate a journal club. And I know, um, Caroline, we've invited you in to, to join in with this. Um, we've got an external facilitator, one of our school improvement advisors, because we thought that was really important. We've chosen three very different books. Uh, the first one we're reading is The Edge by Michael Heppel, and we do have a, a guest author appearance coming in. Well, the second book is very much about staff and um, how we need to be really supporting them and putting them first. And again, it fits back in nicely with the workload, the well-being, the contracts, that employer of choice work. And then the final one is more based around sort of leadership research, that side of it. So they span over the over the course of the year and hopefully um, gives us an opportunity as the central team to be working alongside the leaders in the schools as well, um, thinking about some of those key areas. And um, just just really um, important to build in that that space to to bring that that group together, presumably as 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 well, um, and and build, start to build some some relationships um, across across the team. Definitely, and I think um, also from a point of view of of some of those central team members, it's great for them to get out and about as they've only been with us a couple of months. And I think that's really important um, because it gives them a platform to then link in, but they're seen and they're, they're valued. We've done a lot of work around um, sort of values and the value statement. And I think we're going on to sort of health um, and wellbeing sort of tips and advice. And again, it fits very much with what we've been trying to do, which is all about looking after the whole member of staff, not just um, the part of you that comes to work. Indeed. And um, it's been so, so lovely to keep um, sharing your story with, with listeners over the kind of three terms of this year. But imagine, imagine we're back here in three years time having this conversation what what do you think we might be talking about um for me uh probably growth sort of where we've gone have we gone down the um growth from academization or are we sort of from a traded service point of view servicing and utilizing our specialisms the adaption to agile working so how are we working with the school day and that employer of choice work um, I think that's going to become more and more critical as people reflect over the last year about what they're prepared to accept or, or not accept. Uh, and probably something around sustainability. Um, and that's probably the geographer in me. Um, I'm really interested in the environment, but actually that sustainability of the team, the developments that we're putting in place. And I, I, I guess part of that in three years time, what does succession planning look like? Because, you know, where will we be central team wise? But are there going to be some other successions that we need to think about planning for? Um, and uh, Rachel, what about you? Um, I think for me, it'll be around conversations around curriculum and what that intended curriculum is that we want for our students. I think we live in a very much fast changing world and that curriculum is going to need to grow and develop 
to keep up with that. Um, I think technology has obviously come on hugely um, over the last 18 months and and the remit for our students in terms of career aspirations and things will change as that world develops around us. So I think it's about making sure that we do have a curriculum that keeps up with that. Um, I think it'll be continuing to review the research that's out there and take part in generating that research so that we, we remain cutting edge. Um, I think they're the big things for me. And Alison, finally. Um, I think Rachel just touched on something which I think is going to be massive is around, you know, careers advice and guidance within education is good in some schools at the moment. It's not great in all schools and it's not, I don't personally think it gets the priority and rating that it needs. I think we, as a trust, it's very much at the heart of what we do, but I think that we will be talking about it in three years time and saying, are we really helping our students have not only the, the, the academic skills, but, but also the personal skills to enable them to respond to um, a jobs market that's going to change exponentially, the high skills levels that are going to be required around technology, around sustainability. Um, are they going to be able to um, be able to be able to learn in an agile way as well, not just um, using the resources that we currently have at our fingertips. I think the resources will be very different as well. And that's just within three years because education will have, um, I think, continued to develop following the last, the last 18 months. And I think for all of us, we'll be saying, are we keeping up? Are we doing enough? Is our, are our learners getting the very best experience that we can give them? Um, and we would hope in balance that also we're an employer of choice and we're having conversations saying, you know, do people like working here? Do they want to work with us? Are we, are we providing them um, with the routines and the, the opportunities to work as they wish to work? Well, spending um, time with you all as I have over, over this last year, I have every confidence that you will achieve what, whatever it is you set out to in, in the next uh, three years. And is there anything else that you'd like to share with our listeners in, in closing or any kind of general reflections on, on the year gone? There probably a few more hints and tips would be make sure you've got a good health and safety advisor linked to your health and safety or your estates and premise role. Make sure you've got a clerk or clerking service that you feel really comfortable with, because that's really, really important to ensure that you are documenting things appropriately. And link in with networks, get out there and meet other people doing your role uh, and expose your team to different executive or central team leaders out there, because it really does give you an idea of what's happening and actually what, what the current I suppose landscape looks like because as a CEO you do need to have some time to sort of read what's happening around you but also immerse yourself with those other people to actually sort of get a feel feel because it will really help your thinking reflections and support when you're looking at where to go next and if you're interested in joining team do get in touch with us. Just in conclusion is if you're thinking of setting up a trust um, I think that you would hear if you listen to, to what we've got to say you'd hear what our experiences have been but everybody's going to go through a different journey they're going to find different things um i would also to say which we've been very careful to try and do is to to keep talking remember that the cleaner 
is going to be the person who tells you how it really is. Um, you know, they're going to tell you, they're going to be the thermometer on the place. Um, is, is My point is, is, is talk with all the staff and keep talking and keep the door open and um, together you'll get through it. Oh, that's a very positive note to end on. And thank you. I'm so grateful to you all for taking the time to contribute to this series of, of podcasts. It's it was a it was a brilliant idea by Sarah, and I and I think it's worked really well. And I'm not sure a lot of people have found your experiences really useful um, for what they are trying to do in their trusts. So extremely grateful to you for taking the time to talk to us again today. And thank you very much for listening. Key Voices is produced by The Key, giving education leaders the knowledge to act. Members of the Key for School Leaders can access hundreds of articles on the latest issues in education at thekeysupport.com. And please tell us what you think of the podcast. Rate, review and subscribe or email me at caroline.doherty at thekeysupport.com with your thoughts and suggestions.